0: You are listening to The Report, a Cherry Hill Fire Department podcast, where we interview active and retired members of the CHFD, as well as special guests to capture the history of the department, stories from incidents of consequence, insights into leadership and human perspectives of the job, and lessons learned. Welcome to The Report.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Sean Carlin. I'm here with Shotzi and Captain Halk uh, for another episode of The Report. We're here with our special guest, uh, retired Captain Dan Dorenzo Jr., who uh, worked as the chief financial officer for the district when it consolidated in 1994, and before that was a long time uh, volunteer with the Arlton Fire Company. Thanks for coming on, Mr. Dorenzo. Uh,
2: it's my pleasure. My pleasure to be here.
3: So, let's start off. Tell us how you got involved in the fire service. <laughs>
2: It's actually a funny way that we got involved in the fire service. So, uh, I was a volunteer at Earlton and it just so happened that you know a few guys you know uh, were also volunteer firemen, and they had an apartment right over the stores next to the firehouse. So if we were up there, you know, having you know a get together party stuff like that, and the either the siren went off, the pages went off. All these guys ran out of the apartment down the stairs. And I'm there. Well, how stupid am I? I mean, the only guy left. I should have stayed there. But anyway, um, so they all ran out, went running out. And I so I said, well, man, this looks kind of cool. And so next thing you know, uh, I was volunteering. What year was that? Oh, the 1976 or something like that. Yeah, somewhere around there.
3: 1976. And yeah. then you got hired around 88 Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So you were a day man in Earlton. Yeah, well, a combination, you know, because
2: I was the uh, chief financial officer for District 2 at the time, um, and also then being a firefighter was able to respond. But, uh, yeah, I was the uh, chief financial officer, the first one ever in the town. There was never a position of a chief financial officer uh, for the volunteer uh, for the six districts.
0: What was your uh, what was your background that kind of put you in that niche job market
2: for uh, as chief
0: financial officer?
2: Yeah, well, I had a, um, I had a you know a bachelor's degree from uh, from Rutgers University. I had um, I was working at Schmidt's Brewery in Philadelphia, which involved a lot of that type of, of work. Uh, a lot of that type of administrative type work, a lot of s- scheduling. And just working in the corporate world, the business world, you know, you learn all these things, these financial things that you really can't even learn, you know, out of the book, but, you know, just by doing them. So uh, I was doing that, and I'm a certified teacher also. And so it just, um, it just naturally was a progression for me.
3: So you would work in the office during the day. But if there was a fire call, you would get on the fire truck. Exactly,
2: exactly. Um, I could drive, you know, so far So we always had, you know, mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a driver, chauffeur, as you want to say. But uh, mostly, um, there were the the full time firefighters that were on the job. That, that my guy and that is the Tommy Parks, is Bobby Childs, those types. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. So you
0: you worked with uh, it was. Uh, Mike Ionetta, Chief Ionetta, Correct. later on. Uh, yeah. He said Tommy Parks, Captain Parks. Uh, Emma Fluger, Motor Maintenance, Emil yeah. okay Okay. Another, another retiree out of uh, Motor Maintenance. And then Bob Childs, mm-hmm. who's uh, retired as a lieutenant out of Engine 22. Right. Anybody else we missed? That, that,
2: that was the crew. That was the crew. That was the crew, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the first uh, full-time firefighter at the Earl station was Tom Neal. Um but then uh, he didn't. Uh, he had left, and then that's when they started hiring the other individuals.
3: What year did they start hiring full-time firefighters in Elton?
2: Oof, that's one thing I'm not good on is, is time elements and years. I I don't know. I guess it had to be uh, when the districts consolidated, which um, again I just can't remember those years. That's okay. So. Um, <clears throat> Moving forward, the
0: um, Earlton seemed to be kind of ahead of the curve there, obviously put, bringing on like an administrative position from a, for a career position. Um, That's correct, yes. Which kind of sets the groundwork for the future fire department early on. Obviously, yeah, on another podcast, I think we plan to uh, talk about Roger Olschafer, the department bringing Roger in. Um, I know Earlton played a big role in that. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Earlton fire department at that time in those early years right there?
2: Sure. Sure. Um- from the volunteer standpoint? Or, yeah, both. Or I but, mean, that's, yeah, but, all of it is part of our history. So Exactly. Um, so they probably had the biggest uh, response, uh, number-wise, uh, in the town at the time. Um, they were able to get, you know, three pieces of apparatus out, no problem. Of course, the daytime during the week was still a little suspect, as you imagine it would be. They always have, were able to get a truck out, and, uh, but... Not maybe the second, a third one type thing, you know. And uh, but the, but they had a very good uh, volunteer response, I have to say. Uh, they started the um, sleeping crews, you know, like uh, overnight, and that worked out well. Um, as far as a fire district, we were the most financially stable, you know, district um, from that standpoint. Uh, we had. Um, the lowest uh, tax rate, which, again, is not, I have to give credit, to is, is because of the rateables that we had in that district. I mean, not, not because of, you know, my acumen or anything necessarily like that, but uh, the rateables were big for us. But at the same time, you needed somebody to uh, maintain the day-to-day um, accounting functions because it was getting too much for the commissioners, to be like the treasurer and also handle payroll and any of the uh, insurances, and then when pension came along, whole new ball game, and uh, therefore uh, that's why we were it was a pretty it was a strong district, I have to say, uh, but again the rateables played a big part in it. And for the large response too is is um, the neighborhoods that surrounded the fire station, many, a uh, volunteer came out of. Uh, that station, that I mean, that neighborhood that the station is in, and also right across Route 70. Uh, so they were within, you know, close proximity of riding there. I I was telling the story about how Tommy Parks, who lived right across the street from me in Earlton, would jump on his bike and, and ride his bike. I mean. One year, when it was snow out and sleet, his bike went right past the the fire station, slid right past, <laughs> um, and that's how my son got started too. Because when he would hear my pager go off or he would hear the siren, pew, he would he would off and yep. uh, go over. So um, we brought you in today, obviously, you know, talk
0: about you were the first in company officer at the Garden State Racetrack fire. Yes, in the year what was that, nineteen seventy seven? Yes it was. Nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, so April fourteenth, nineteen seventy seven, the Garden State racetrack fire, historic fire in the CHFD. Um, before we get into that, can you just talk about a little bit about what is what does Cherry Hill look like at that point? Um, what does Earlton kinda look like? Just paint that picture for those for all the young guys who who only know Cherry Hill today at you know at seventy five thousand, you know, yeah, people. Right. I mean as far as the fire department goes or as the town itself? Just more about the the town. Like, what did did Route 70 down the Earlton Corridor look like?
2: It didn't look like anything that it is today. I mean, um, however, the racetrack was built back in the, I think, 40s or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that was always there. So that was always a big... That always generated a lot of uh, people coming into the town, a lot of traffic, uh, because 70 was, you know, just a two-lane-type highway there at the time. And... um, a lot. It was a lot of uh, residential, and uh, there wasn't, uh, uh, let's see, there wasn't, uh, you know, too many businesses fronting 70 that wasn't a mom-and-pop uh, type store, um, and uh, the racetrack was the biggest attraction. And the mall, of course, came on later on, you know, but it was kind of like a uh, small neighborhood town around Route 70. I mm-hmm. mean, you could uh, actually walk.
3: And cross it and at, at this point all of the destinations were still there like the Latin Casino
2: that's correct yes the Latin casino was there these are all places that brought people into the town So that, that
3: general area was was a big attraction for Philly that that
2: part of it is true as far as commercial development and um, you know um, institutional type developments of course you had a hospital but the, the big draw were the uh, restaurants. The Lancasino Casino drew big-name people there. Um, I mean, big-name people. You're talking about Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., people like that. And the restaurant, Sinelli's Restaurant. Sinelli's, Uh, yeah. There was a Marlton Tavern, too. The Marlton Tavern. um, um, Yes, uh, it it drew a lot of uh, people from Philadelphia. But then again, like I said, it was just that. It wasn't, you know... um, Mm -hmm big companies and, and car dealerships and all that type of thing. The racetrack drew the, drew the restaurants, the restaurants and uh, entertainment
3: venues drew the people to the town. Uh, Mr. Dorenzo, before we get into the, the actual fire at the racetrack, can you tell us a little bit what it was like uh, responding to the racetrack for incidentals? I know the stables were, were a common alarm system Uh, for the firemen in Earlton. What was it like before the fire?
2: Actually, before the fire, there were two separate fires in the the stables, uh, of which, you know, horses were lost, Um, the barns were destroyed. It was, that was interesting in itself, you know. Here you are trying to move through smoke and low, uh, smoke hanging low, and all of a sudden, this thoroughbred horse comes charging <laughs> at you out of nowhere, out of the smoke. I mean, like, what is this? <laughs> but uh, it, it was that. That was that was sad. That was a sad situation uh, because it did set the racetrack back a bit, you know. And then to have two of them of that nature, but then all the combustibles, you know, the the, the barns that were created were all wood. I mean, you're talking about stuff which is so easy to to burn and ignite. So, but responding so that those two incidents were more than just responding to incidentals. Incidentals of course, you always had to worry about you know getting in there if the, if the track was uh, in session, it was always you know traffic coming in traffic going out and you know that was problematic in itself. But fortunately the grandstands, it was nothing uh, that to speak of. Now we drilled on the racetrack a lot. Okay, and the structure itself was just prone to any kind of ignition of fire that, that was going to be problematic. Um, the uh, the attic that stretched the entire length of the racetrack was a common space, common, uh, and it was all. Due to the time of construction, due to the war effort, steel was at a premium, so that entire thing was built with roof, uh, with wooden rafters. And we would go up there and we'd look and we'd say, oh my God, you know, if anything ever came about up here, it was just one, it's just gonna roll right on through.
3: You guys knew. We knew, we
2: knew, we absolutely did know. And and we, uh, and again, there was a lot of, Construction in the, uh, in the clubhouse and the grandstand itself, again, lack of steel, uh, again, problematic. Um, but the one thing, and I, this will allude to probably the fire itself, is the one thing we thought of is, is um, what would happen if it did, if it was occupied and it was in session and the races were in session. We would not be you know sitting here saying to ourselves, "Oh, wait a minute, what about that element?" And sure enough, that element was the major problem for us. 11, 12,000 people. So um, that's the one thing we never counted on that it would get any kind of a head start during the uh, race time. You so. figure
3: <clears throat> enough people there. You'd, so it would get caught quick enough. A small incipient fire wouldn't get a- out of hand.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, that's that's exactly correct. In fact, you know, well, when we get into the fire, then I, I can address uh, you know what what had occurred. Uh,
1: well, be- before we get into the fire, can you um, can you kind of run down what a structure fire response was like for for you guys in Arlington? Like who would who would come on a typical house fire, building fire, just to kind of set up. What the what the town's fire response looked like at that time?
2: Well, what would happen? Almost would be comparable to. Well, they can't say comparable because now you're talking about you don't know exactly what you had in each station, you know. So you maybe had to include stations full complement of the equipment at the different stations, and uh, for a uh, structure fire in our district and our uh, it would be. Uh, Closest um, stations uh, would be the Church Road Fire Company, and also Deer Park Fire Company uh, would be two key ones because um, they would be the closest in, in the radia- uh, radius. I mean, we didn't have concentric circles and stuff <laughs> like that, you know, like they have now, you know. But uh, but yeah, so that it was preset, and you probably, no, you definitely had more equipment then you you would have responding today for obvious reasons. I mean, because you're turning out the stations, not, not just a specific uh, piece of
3: apparatus. And each station might have three, four engines, a ladder Mm -hmm. truck, a rescue truck.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And again, uh, being a volunteer, you didn't know what you were getting. So you had to overcompensate, let's say, because you never knew what you were going to get, uh, particularly because of the time of day. You know, during Monday through Friday, the traditional work uh, work week, problematic, problem, potential potential problem for having apparatus. So you kind of over,
3: I don't want to say overcompensate. Yeah, I guess overcompensate is a good word for it. So why don't we get into that day in 1977? Yes. Well, <laughs> uh, were you at the firehouse or were you... Where were were you when the the call came in? Being in in the
2: right place (laughs) at the right time, or you know, it's like you know, we would talk about the racetrack fire, and we would say, you know, oh, and each one who was an officer would say, oh, you know, I know what I would say, and so I was trying to go, send me the world, you know, and you know, all this funny stuff that they were going to say. I didn't think of one funny thing going down there. I couldn't think of one funny thing to say. Anyway, I had just finished um, teaching. So I said, hey, "Let me just stop in the firehouse." Eh, mistake. <laughs> so I'm in there, and fortunately, it was like around four o'clockish or so. And you know, with shift workers and stuff, we did have people that were in hanging in the fire station. So when the call went out, we had a full crew. We had you know myself, the uh, one full-time individual, Tom Neal. He was a chauffeur. Uh, we had the two Scott Pack men. We had back then you were allowed to ride on the back of the truck by the way we had three people on the back of the truck and and we were out the door so somehow some way we we had a full crew and we were able to go right out do you remember who the three people were on the back uh let's see i know that skip gibson was one the former uh fire chief his father former fire chief uh an older gentleman, because even back then, the older firefighters would get on the back of the truck. Real quick,
0: Mr. Dorenzo, that was that's not Skip, the son, not Skip and John, the sons, right? but it was their father.
2: You're saying Skip Gibson, seen? No, Skip Gibson, the son. Oh, Skip Gibson, the son is okay. Hugh Gibson's. Uh, well, Hugh Gibson, Hugh Gibson, Gibson is go. Go. Skip Gibson. That, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah right, that's right. Yeah yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah.
0: So it was, it was Hugh, yeah it was it was Skip Gibson, former fire uh, chief, fire marshal,
2: and fire commissioner. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's right, yes.
3: You had Skip Gibson, an older gentleman you were saying. Yes, uh, uh, Joe Antonini was his
2: name. (laughs) And I'm trying to remember who the the, uh, third one was. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I do know who the two uh, Scott uh, Pack guys were. was Bob Siegfried and um, Brian Schwartz. And... um, so, yes, yeah, so the call come in, and, said, and you know how the tones go out, and say, the Garner Stadium race track, and said, the structure. Oh, my stomach dropped. I said, <laughs> the structure. Oh, my God, the place is occupied. So we head out, right, we got out the door right away, and uh, we're heading down 70, and we're getting closer. And um, Tom Neal was just such a cool customer. Nothing could, you know – get him, you know, out of kilter or anything like that. He was just always very cool customer. Well, when I saw his foot on the accelerator going back and forth, back and forth, they said, <laughs> Oh my God, nearly, <laughs> nearly, nearly feeling it. We could have a problem. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we got, and you can see the smoke, uh, no fire we can see, but smoke emanating from the, the roof, the eaves, and the rooftop. So we figure, okay, that's smoke skin up there, you know, pretty far, you know. Um, Again, didn't see any real visible fire, believe it or not. So um, we got there, and the location was the Colonial Room Kitchen. And again, from our uh, pre-planning and training, I knew where the Colonial Room Kitchen would be, which means that in that huge of a structure, we had direct access from outside direct to that kitchen. So I said, okay. So we get there, I pack up, I get um, 2 Pac-Man up, and we go into that entrance to where we could get to the kitchen. Well, what we found was it was the easy way to find the way to the kitchen because there was a booster line leading us into there from the racetrack fire truck. They had their own fire crew, which was made up of security officers. They went and got this old fire truck. I don't even know how old it was, but, you know. So I said, oh, my God. They, they, they might be in there, follow the booster line, just check, just make sure that they're, they're not in there, and then you get in just far enough. And I told the two guys, no, 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 out, out, out. There's no way that we're going to make any kind of an entrance because then all of a sudden you can start, now you can start, you know, see them fire and and uh, with the smoke coming up there. I said, we gotta, we gotta get people out of here. Now, because uh, this is going to, this is going to potentially going to spread. So we got to get people out of there, pull that, pull them out. And we were in a courtyard. That's where we were in a courtyard because that's how we were able to get to the, uh, to where the kitchen entrance was. So now you know there's smoke and fire, you know, coming from everywhere. And um, our portable radios at the time could not reach. Uh, uh, county the communication center from just the portable you had to go through your apparatus so um, I had called for more uh, and uh, additional uh, you know uh, alarms and when the our assistant chief who was responding asked the question of uh, the county you know, is the uh, second alarm being called and everything? And I'm listening to all this, and uh, they say, Yes, that's the, that's the negative. And I'm there, like, You gotta be kidding me. You got Because I hear now, I hear the Ashland station were responding, Haddonfield was responding, and Fives was responding, and the uh, Church Road Church, station was So I said, Yeah, okay, yeah, so no problem. They did they, they go through. And when he said, No, it's negative, and I'm saying, I'm there, it's fair, fair. Fam- fam- our uh, driver, Tom Neal, could not get back to his apparatus to even hear and answer the radio because the people pouring out now are now surrounding, we're engulfed with all these people. And so it's just, it, it was just a crazy situation that you can never even have uh, thought of, you know, being now inundated with all these people surrounding you. He couldn't even get back to his piece of apparatus. So meanwhile, I say, okay, Let's, let's get this truck out of here because we're in this courtyard. I said, I said let's, let's get this truck out of here. But before that, now we're looking up, and there's uh, in the, like equivalent to a fourth floor, a, um, a gentleman hanging out the window from the accounting office. And his, uh, he's hanging out the window, and now you can see smoke now starting to come out from behind him, right? And in the fourth floor, no ground ladders are going to reach this so um and people are coming out and they're saying no you gotta get him you gotta get him now people are yelling gotta get him!" people are grabbing me literally grabbing me by my coat you've got to get that guy you got to get that guy said, don't huh? so i said the only thing that's going to reach him is uh going to be our snorkel so i um i radio because i heard the snorkel responding 1324 my brother's driving it okay so i tell him i said look you gotta swing it around and you gotta get it in this courtyard, and we have to, uh, you know, that's the only way we're gonna reach the sky. So, without him even gonna say, Wait, are you crazy or something? No, he just said, yeah, okay. He said, okay. So, now if you look at the racetrack, they have this, the strongest looking wrought iron fence and gates that you can imagine, okay? So, literally, there was maybe five inches, if that much, on each side that he had to pull through this gate. And it had to be a straight shot. Somehow, some way, he did it. Got in there in the courtyard. Less than two minutes. The outriggers go up. And now the snorkel is moving towards the sky. People are out there going, Hey, you think this is a Hollywood set or something? <laughs> I'm serious. It's like people are clapping and everything. So now this guy is hanging out and fire is coming out over top of him. Now, you know, we're... we're Got to get that up there, so if that's that's if that's if that's moving up, he climbs out on a ledge, a narrow ledge, that maybe is a foot, or I mean maybe two foot, and now he's laying on this ledge as fire is rolling out that window that he was just in. Get the snorkel up there, flip the, uh, the uh, get, get the basket up there, flip the uh, platform down, roll him onto the platform, boom, you know bring them down. I, I tell my brother, get this truck out of here now. Sure enough, 20 minutes later, that whole brick wall came down into the courtyard. So, yeah, but now we really, but the, the thing was is that we had to make so many, I'm going to say legitimate rescues. And I'm not talking about going and saying to people, okay, come down this hallway or something. I'm talking about on the Rotunda balcony, throwing up ground ladders because the jockeys are throwing their stuff off of the balcony onto the ground, and then they're sliding, coming down the ladders, putting up ladders on the side of the grandstand because people are climbing over the sides of the grandstand because just at that time, the glass doors started, started burst, uh, bursting through, and now flames coming out from the grandstand, the interior of the grandstand. Now these people are running down. They're on the outside grandstand, and they're running down, and put up ground ladders on the sides, they're climbing over the sides and out. That's the other part that we... A, that there was going to be in session, and B, that we're going to have that many legitimate rescues, people, you know, having to get out of there because of what we're going to have to do. So we were so tied up with uh, with rescues uh, that, you know, well, the fire was, was going anyway. I mean, there, no way you're going to stop that. Now, were there... Um- were there fatalities? Well, they say that there were two missing people. Okay. Never found. Bodies never found. But there were two missing people. And we thought out of 12,000 people, that's Not too bad. That's a pretty good, you know. <laughs> it's a good uh, percentage, percentage, you know.
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, passing. But you yeah. would say you'd be in the Hall of Fame. With that. <laughs> so that so
3: that happened pretty quickly from when you got there, it looked like there was just a fire in on a first floor kitchen. To fire out the windows on the fourth floor, how how quickly do you think? Like, oh, with, with minutes, minutes, within minutes. I mean, you could—it's uh, actually—you could literally see
2: it before your very eyes. You can look up and see it just rolling right down from places, and it just—it it was amazing how fast that that had gone up. It really was. It isn't that amazing if you knew what the structure was like, you know,
1: then. How long were the maintenance guys in there fighting the fire before you get, Before they called you? Were you ever able to figure that out?
2: We figured as much as 15 to 20 minutes, which I still say to this day, if, if it had come in right away, um, we might have had a shot at it mm. because we had a direct route to where it had started. If it had been somewhere in the middle of the building or something like that, nah. You know, because the winding stairs and stuff that they had, no. But we had a direct shot at that. And yeah, and if you and you said it, right, you got you followed
0: that the red the red snake in the booster line in, and conditions when you got into where it was actually on fire was so significant. You're like, we're not getting – you. You made that decision then, right? Oh yeah,
2: oh yeah. But we had to go because the booster lines in there, and I'm and we're thinking, are they still in there? Right. So we had to you know take a shot at going and but. It was, it was just too obvious, and I just said to my two guys, "No,
3: no." That and you had to make the decision to, to write the building off and work and, on and saving and con- the people.
2: And continue to, yeah. I mean, that, that's all we could do. I mean, it just—it uh, was just an impossible situation at the time, you know, given the condition of the building, given the amount of people there, given you know the rescues had to be made. It was just the perfect storm.
1: It really was take us through uh, the rest of the fire. So th- this obviously goes from, you know, the rescues get made. Uh, I'm sure you guys are, are more than worn out. All the resources are taxed. And now you have what amounts to, like, all of South Jersey coming to this fire, right? Um, <laughs> and people. Philadelphia. And Philadelphia, that's right. I <laughs> forgot about that. Um, you know, it, it, can you talk about the duration of the incident and how and, and like how it progressed over those those hours and days?
2: Yeah, it, it, it progressed over uh, like three days. Um, we were um, sleeping in; they didn't have bunk rooms per se back then, but we were sleeping in the in the firehouses. You know, we'd go do shifts. You know, because uh, and, um, and then just try to rotate crews and things like that. Um, but, you know, families were all worried because they hadn't heard from us and things like that, you know. So uh, just a little a story, though. Uh, the one fatality that they do claim is the fire captain, the fire um, police captain. McWilliams. Uh, McWilliams. He was responding to the call, and he had a heart attack uh, on Route 70. And, you know, and the news were going in saying that the only fatality was this, this fire um fire captain, captain. Ha- fire police captain, you know. And all my father heard was fire captain. And so he was trying to call somebody, you know, to try and find, find out. And we wanted to know who. It was me and my brother are there. And uh, I swear no way he is the Italian father. He was <laughs> gonna rush up to the hospital and demand the that they tell him who it was, you know. <laughs> but uh yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Then you got into, and there was a lot of state police. State police came in now because of the um, the regulation by the by the safe. And the money. Track. I'm sure, right? And the safe, and the safe. The money. Yeah, they were in there, uh, you know, making sure that they found the safe area, and uh, and they were there for oh, they were there for a couple of days themselves, you know, until they were able to, you know, get all that taken so- care of.
0: In and around that, that corridor where the racetrack was were all the restaurants we talked about earlier, um, all these, the um, like, Casino, Sinelli's... Rickshaw uh, Inn. Rickshaw Inn, right? The, the concerns, how about for spreading fire? Um, did that ever cross your mind? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, actually, you know, I was relieved by the assistant chief coming in, okay? Uh, our first assistant chief came in, our second assistant chief. The chief, Hugh Gibson was on his way home from the shore when it came in. Well, you can imagine what traffic was like, you know, trying to get to the racetrack. So, but he, he ended up getting a police escort to get there. And um, then he took over, in fact, even um, was uh, overseeing it from a helicopter. And uh, they had a very nice interview of the, the man in charge being, meaning him, the newspaper did. But anyway, so... Um, when we pulled our engines out, like I pulled 23 out, now other incoming engines and apparatus were setting up to start, you know, fighting the blaze, and we pulled our... So believe it or not, they sent us across the highway to protect these uh, these other buildings. Uh, and there we go, are, you know, now on Amber Patrol. <laughs> yeah. But it was a hell of a lot of embers.
3: How long before you first arrived do you think it was until water actually started being put onto the fire?
2: It, it was a while. It was a while. I mean, uh, because of, uh, again, you know, all the uh, rescues that were taking place and all the apparatus coming in was confined to, to that type of thing. However, uh, the Chief of Haddonfield came in and I immediately put him on, um, on the get, you know, getting water on the fire, getting his crews in and also Deer Park. Uh, I think Will Ward was the chief at the time at Deer Park, but I, knowing him as well as I did, you know, I was able to trust him to take uh, care of. Like they were going to start drafting from the uh, from the lake on the infield of the racetrack, and uh, and hydrants were not a, you know were not great you know either the, you know those yard hydrants stuff that they had they, they wasn't great water pressure coming from there, so uh, yeah, it took a while. I uh, I'd say probably maybe at least 20 minutes or so before. But it was like, you know, spitting into the wind. I mean, it was just... Right, so at this time, you know, you're talking about deck-mounted master streams,
0: right, on the on the exactly. engines, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. 2 and a halfs, where you're probably, you know, your large Weird. line yeah. with big play pipes, right? Exactly. And exactly. Uh, everybody was just kind of made, as we would say today,
2: even today, just making it look good at that <laughs> point, right? <laughs> yeah, you could say it. I mean, because there's no way Anyone could have controlled that based on all the, you know, the odds that were stacked up against us.
0: Looking looking back, you know, at the decisions you made that morning as the first company officer and, um, you know, and, and you're v- quite familiar with the Cheryl Fire Department th- of today. Uh, your son is a captain at the rescue. You were here to see uh, – the uh, fruition of uh, all of our officer training and everything we do to prepare our officers and our senior firefighters and chiefs um, to be that first in officer making decisions. Thinking back, uh, anything you'd change? Um, anything that you would maybe have done different? And and if not, or if so, you know, what it, would talk a little bit about your training that also kind of like led you, got you to that point you think, or, uh, assisted you that, that,
2: that well afternoon. you know I don't know whether it's so much the training but the way the fire department is set up today one thing that rings clear to me is like um incident command <laughs> there was no you know no such thing as incident command back then I mean before I had said we don't know what we have coming in you know so how can we really even direct but now it's so much more structured. Yeah, I, I sat in a couple of the incident command sessions that you know that you've had, and it's just that you know what you have coming in. You you can you have a command set up that you put together. Uh, everything is already you know pre-planned, whereas our pre-planning never could take into account what we have, what we have coming in, or who is to, who is to assume what spot. You know, so yeah. That's to me, that's one of the biggest uh, things. Uh, could I have set up an instant command? Not under those circumstances. You know, uh, I had to go and do what, you know, what the first in officer, you know, would do um, and then try, you know, uh, you know, taking it from there. But uh, that's one of the, the biggest things I said, like the instant command and not only, but the training and the people that you know that you have. Uh, is
0: a huge asset. So, yeah. Anything else like from the main fire day that you want to talk about, like in the immediate before we? No, hit I it? think I think
2: you know I made the the, the major points um, okay. again, would we have had a shot at it, maybe, just maybe. Yeah, I um, never
1: knew about the booster line.
0: That's yeah. uh, that's. that's I, I do remember this because there's video out there you can see, and you see the truck, their truck there, whatever, with the booster line in. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. I think I asked a question or two to somebody, and they were like, "Oh, that was might have been Billy Arcari." Told me, "He's like, oh no, that was the racetracks fire department that was that was trying to fight <laughs> yeah.
2: the fire initially." Yeah. That would have um, been a horrible horrible picture <laughs> if it yeah. was us leading the <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> um, hey,
1: so, uh, as as the you know the fire winds down, you guys get into the aftermath and kind of picking up the pieces from a fire department perspective. Did you guys have any um, you know formal after action reports? Was there any any discussion of things that that needed to be changed to so you so you have a more reliable fire response from other stations? You know what's coming that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, we did a we did a few assessments. In fact, um, we did a few presentations. Um, not only within Cherry Hill, but at, and it's somewhere else in the county, and even some companies in and Pennsylvania wanted us to do a presentation for them of almost all the things we discussed here. You know, you know what could have been, you know what was that type of thing. Um, as far as um, as far as uh, planning stages. For I mean, uh, no more than than really, you know, uh, just sitting down and doing some kind of a um, study and uh, uh, of just uh, what happened. And um, just a little session, a couple of sessions, uh, you know, with the fire departments here in Cherry Hill, the fire stations here in Cherry Hill, but, uh, of course, uh, they think that there isn't anything that of that magnitude that, you know, that you can compare it to. So, um, but yeah, but they did go into some, again, that was beyond me. I mean, that was uh, the chiefs. I mean, they did have me there to give, you know, the insight of what actually you know, did happen, but yeah, that more or less would have been, uh, you know, different sessions, uh, strategy sessions uh, amongst the different fire
3: chiefs. And what about the town itself? How did, how did, Earlton and Cherry Hill at large change after the racetrack burned down?
2: Well, if you lived around the racetrack, um, people were happy because of the traffic.
3: (laughs) And believe it or not, that's
2: true. And um, people were concerned about uh, such a large rateable, you know, being destroyed. And most of the apprehension, you know, came from um, what's next, you know, what's going to replace it. Are they going to be able to rebuild it? Do you rebuild it as a racetrack? I mean, is it is, is sustainable, uh, you know, rateable for us, you know? Uh, but that's, and a lot of memories, too. Uh, people were, uh, so it, it hit home in an emotional kind of way, too, because the people had a lot of memories uh, of the racetrack. Um, state fairs were held there, you know, so it was a place for big attractions like that. And so, yeah, there was a lot of mixed feelings about... um, And there was, again, you know, uh, like I said, from a financial standpoint, how is this going to affect those restaurants, you know, those um, that casino? Because, you know, the racetrack bought people here who then frequented those uh, surrounding restaurants and businesses. So there was a lot of, um, you know, like I said, um, I don't want to say fear... But a lot of uh, disconcernment about uh, what
3: could happen to their businesses. And when you look back now, you can see it kind of was the beginning of the end for a lot of the commerce that was around there. The Ones that,
2: well, you know what? Partly due to the racetrack, yes. But another large part were the casinos. The casinos are really what did the racetrack in. I mean, the Glatt casino in because the Stars had to, if they were in Lake City, they had to sign a uh, consent form that they would not perform in a certain radius of the casinos. So that's what hurt the lack Casino uh, more than the racetrack, I would have to say. Okay. And some subsequently, the Rickshaw Inn, which was right next to the to the racetrack, and Cinelli's Restaurant, which, uh, again, was right on Haddonfield Road, so people left the racetrack and Sanelli's was right there, Henry's was right there, all these places were right there. So when they come out, they say, "Hey, let's just go to dinner." That's it, especially if they want, I guess. <laughs> uh,
1: obviously, the the racetrack is still getting developed, you know, today.
2: It is, yes. Uh,
1: Could you talk? Uh, I can distinctly remember uh, because you know, my family grew up in Arlton, They they uh, would talk about how much of a discussion that was what you know what was going to come next like you said what um did it ever become clear what was going to become next or was that a point of contention for a long time well
2: first of all it was rebuilt mm-hmm. the racetrack was rebuilt a very modern beautiful building and it would have uh definitely attracted the uh those of the horse track uh, the racetrack lovers the uh, horsemen and things like that however um Problems came in, you know, as far as you know, the state and the casinos and everything like that and regulations, and the racetrack never really, you know, was able to get get off the ground, you know, because um, they had to get licensing from the from the state and things like that. But it never really got off n- n- uh, off the ground because certain races, were Jersey Derby, Jersey Derby, wasn't going to be held there anymore. Again, which was a big attraction for uh, racetrack fans, uh, horse race fans, and uh, yeah, it was more of a governmental type of a situation that uh, did in the new racetrack, and people kind of liked that old southern colonial type structure that it was, and you know the new modern glitz and they said they'll we'll save that for the casinos kind of a thing, but. Uh, but, yeah, there was a lot of uh, government uh, you know, uh, and state, uh, um, I don't want to say statutes, but uh, state rules and regulations governing the uh, uh, racetrack, horse racing, and that. But then came, and, to, and it was really a shame to see that beautiful building just be torn down. And that's, and that's what it was, just torn down. And then came the plans for the racetrack. Contention? Oh, yes. I mean, everybody and their brother wanted to do something else with it. I mean, one developer wanted to make it like a, uh, a city with high-rise and um, entertainment venue in it and and different things like that. And then one wanted just all commercial type of a thing. Uh, yeah, there was just so many. And then there was this one plan that was put out which... I still actually have copies of uh, um, the design of it, which was a beautiful design. It was a combination of all those things. And, um, and it would have been beautiful, but for some reason, it just never got off the ground. For whatever reason, developers didn't want, uh, you know, wanted more um, you know, retail, wanted more business, or some wanted more entertainment venue. Uh, Somebody wanted more residential, but the one plan that I that 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 was put out there, and in fact, if you go into the township and you look in their um, uh, their uh, uh, inspection office or their community development office, you'll see some pictures of that plan. And it's a shame it didn't never
3: got off. I think the recession also might have played a part in that. From what I've been told,
2: that's that's one of the things. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that was like the start of my career, you know,
0: I hired in 06, and I watched as that, you know, just, we, you know, we started to build, and then it just stalled out. Right, exactly. I still remember the guy with the banner outside, he bought like one of the first apartments, paid a fortune for it, and then it, they started at the turn of, in like 09, 10, when they were um, they were leasing the uh, and renting the apartments for much less, he held a, he hung a sheet, homemade banner out his window that said like these guys are crooks or something, <laughs> and uh,
2: they finally reduced his rent so we would take the banner down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah, but you know they, they always wanted to make it like a multi-use kind of thing. Which today it looks like a nice it's multi-use. I mean, it's attracting some uh, some good um, uh, retail establishments. Um, the uh, of course the residential, you know. It's, but I think the one thing that they were, in my opinion, that they were missing is the the entertainment, and when I say the entertainment, I mean the arts and things like that. Because they had the racetrack had a beautiful um, small, like like an arena type thing that they used for when they were uh, horse uh, for sales uh, for the sales of horses, you know, and, they had, and, it, and it would have worked out perfect some kind of an arts venue or some kind of, a, you know, with a stage and things like that. And and the other plan also had, you know, athletic fields, you know, like, you know, baseball, I mean, softball fields, things like that. So th- I think they this present uh, configuration has missed out on, on things like that. Fire department even tried to get in there to build a station. I there. remember that. That's yeah, where I was
1: going uh, saying... to be my next question. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to talk at all about uh... – about that. Yeah. Wh- Where would that have been? Um, I know there was the, the fight on 3rd Avenue at one point in time. Right,
0: with
2: but that's about in the
1: area would, where it would have been. Yeah, right? yeah okay.
0: that was late in it, though. I thought there they weren't their original drawings or ideas of, like, trying to— the oh, town, the center The town wanted to create, like, a city center, right? Yeah. So they wanted to create a little town center where you had, like, a post office, Main Street, kind of pay homage to the history of Cherry Hill. The fire department, obviously, at the time, I believe uh, it would have been uh, Chief Giorgio was— uh, was at the helm here and, and kind of said, you know, this from a response perspective, burying a company deep inside of what would be even just like in, in the seventies have been a traffic nightmare to get out of. Um, he, there was a no go. So then I think there was plans where we were going to, take, going to take their leasing office on the on chapel and, uh, um, yeah, corner chapel and, corner and, chapel chapel and road. yeah, right there on Haddonfield road. And then that kind of, that was the recession hit. It kind of fell through. We didn't move forward. We were in the process of, um, redoing all the stations here, you know, Marlcrest Road, Burnt Mill Road, um, or, uh, yeah, Woodcrest, and then... Um, fours. Yeah, and Fours. So everything kind of got put on hold for the racetrack. And then in the end, the last proposed idea was there um, off of 3rd, kind of between 3rd and... Um, and the uh, and the property. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, Crescent yeah, Crescent Way, which comes in off of Chapel Ave. Yep. And that was fought because that's, that's the wooded area that kind of secludes those residents in... Um, in that know. southern end of woodland, um, from the the glitz and glam of the development that's going on, so right. they they opposed it. And ironically, I still remember this. I was detailed out of Fives. We I was detailed to the to the ladder, and we caught um, we caught a fire in the gentleman's house who was the most adamant <laughs> like voice against the building of the firehouse. His back, I think it was the back of his house, like it was like a Florida room or something off the back, caught fire, mm-hmm. and um, guys made quick work of it. But and he was there, you know, looking right at us, like, ah, I bet you guys think I would want a firehouse now. I still don't. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, you know.
2: So, yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I didn't get uh, too much involved. In that I was too busy with bond rever- uh, referendums and, bond <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and clearing for different uh, neighborhood, uh, you know, organizations to sell the bond referendums. But uh, that was another interesting part of
3: so after 1977 you volunteer for about another decade oh yeah and then get hired yeah in earlton right can you tell us about the rest of your career from 1998 uh i'm sorry 1988 through consolidation in 94 yeah and then as you became more part of the administration of the fire department towards the end of your career
2: yeah sure um it started that um just as you uh would That we wanted to have have paid firefighters in the stations Um, it was important the, the districts were still individual districts but it became more increasingly uh important that you know the more hiring that was being done the more of a burden it was going to be on the fire commissioners because they were the ones actually doing administrative duties such as payroll and you know, and filings, uh, you know, for uh, for pension and things like that. That um, if you lose track of that, it'll get away from you. So, at district two we came up with the idea of having a. Um, I guess they called him a chief executive officer back then too. Yeah, um, but uh, and creating that, and also having the person that was a firefighter that could, you know, respond from there. So that's when the very first, you know, chief financial officer for any fire district was created. It was created in the Eralton District, District 2. And from that, um, a couple other uh, stations, Deer Park, for example, I know for sure did. And I'm pretty sure like maybe Springdale Road, the Ashland uh, may also have done that. But that was becoming increasingly clear that as the more uh, hiring that was going on, the more administrative background you know, and backdrop you're going to have to have. So with that came the, um, the vote to consolidate the six districts. And with the six districts, um, now we're going to need you know one chief financial officer for the new fire district 13. So they interviewed the different uh, individual Chief Financial Officers, and that's when, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough um, to get the job as the Chief Financial Officer for the um, Cherry Hill Fire District, 13. Um, fortunate, yes, but after <laughs> getting into it, consolidating six districts because much more than I thought it would ever be. <laughs> um, it was Saturdays and Sundays and, you know, whatever time i could you know fit in there uh everyone had different uh, structures i mean uh financial uh, structures um or uh, organizational structures administrative functions and we had to consume all of them into to one simple things like checking accounts um and you know things like that but also were important things like Rateables. Each of the district had different rateables, so now we had to make sure that all the rateables become become one. <coughs> and um, stations. Which stations are they going to keep? Things like that. Uh, now, pensions is a very important part, and um, payroll and all all that. Health benefits becomes not more than just a simple thing. So uh, to consolidate. The, the six districts was a monumental process. Um, Mike Saracini was the uh, assistant chief in administration of the time. Um, I thank him because he was um, really good to work for. And he was a, a tremendous help You know, in helping me and giving me the way to go and consolidate these districts. But we did it. And, um, much to, uh, you know, my, as far as my opinion goes, that it was a, it was a, it ends up being a good thing to do because there was just too many different, um, views on how, you know, uh, to run a fire department, how to run a fire district. So when it was all, after it was, you know, the, the crying and the complaining and the, you know, not sleeping is all over the one consolidate a fire district, turned out to be a a very good uh, thing to do for the town. But the process to get there, because you know what, you had emotions involved too. And emotions carried through, um, excuse me, these are ones who had their own uh, control of their own situations, their own fire districts, their own firehouses. And then there, of course, was the volunteers, you know, because as more um, individuals got put on paid status, the volunteers, you know, were feeling as though, you know, they were being left out. So there was that, that issue, too. There was a lot of emotional issues involved in, in, in this process of doing it. However, as it turns out, and as you could see, I mean, a lot of the volunteers would even admit that um, time the training and everything involved—it was becoming very time-consuming, and they weren't. There weren't jobs out there that afforded you the ability to work shift work and then, you know, be able to respond at different times of the day or night. Um, raising families was a lot more difficult, but um, and then there was that consistency for the town. There was that consistency. You knew whichever fire district you lived in before. Whichever neighborhood you lived in before, it was going to be fire. This fire service was going to be consistent, and you knew exactly what you were going to be getting. And again, Chief Georgia was a, a big proponent of that, and um, he was able to explain. Again, I mentioned concentric circles, which you know we you know the only circles we knew of when we were volunteers was the racetrack circle and the Ellsberg circle. You know? <laughs> it was, um, so it all came. Uh, all came into play and and that's you know that's what we have have here today and there's equal you know equal representation uh, uh, for the um, all the residents of the town
3: is Is there anything else that you would like to share with everyone
2: only if you want me to tell the story about me rappelling out of the tower. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> hey, Danny yelling at you? Yeah, yeah, you know. This really happened? Yeah, I le- yeah. I left, you know. Right, so course, yeah. I saw it. I <laughs> run from my office to training sessions, you know, and um, we're doing the rappelling out of the tower. So I'm coming out of, the, out of the tower, and unfortunately, who's running the exercise at that time was my son. And um, he, ha- I can't repeat it. You know, on the podcast here, but he says, Come on, you, you know, what whatsoever. Is this an O this is an O six when we got the
0: Gem Tours for the first time you talked yeah. about? It. Yeah, I remember yeah. this. Yeah. it must have been a different I wasn't working, but that's this is two days into my career starting. Yeah. We start we did all the gem tour training in the yeah. bailout systems, yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so and, and he's like the six he sings to me, like, get down, you know. And all the guys around him are saying, Danny. Shut up! What are you crazy? This is a guy who takes care of our pensions, our payroll, our health benefits. Shut up! Yeah.
0: So, it, it's um, you forget, you know, and I think we were we were reminded of it reminded of it in 08 and and nine and and ten as we um, with the recession. Um, but you forget that, like all of these guys that were staff officers. Or stay a firemen were still sworn firemen. At, you know, through and through at the end of the day, you're still a fireman. So you, you know, you carried a pack with you, you knew how to do you did all your qualifications. Oh yeah. Um, and I, you know, I forget that. I remember in my head thinking back now, like the only time you ever saw I would see Jerry Walters and Jim Bird and packs would be like a good fire, like the Ace Hardware fire. You'd see these guys, they'd all show up in the callback. Um, but then truth be told, in the rece- in the recession, we started putting those guys on rigs, right? To make sure that we were able to stay off the rigs when um yeah. We were having some issues. And, uh, yeah, so, again, it's, that's kind of the beautiful thing about the charitable fire department is through and through, at the core, you're still a fireman, regardless oh, yeah. of what other things you do for the department.
2: Exactly. And that's why I think that's what me being where I understand, I understood all the needs of the firefighters, which, like I said, you know, I had an open-door policy. I mean, if there was somebody's mother or somebody, I mean, somebody's wife or, or mother even sometimes it was, would come in. Yeah, you know, I have a question for you. Yeah, come on in. You know, and and yes, we'll we'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. Because again, being a firefighter, and you know, you're going to take care of the firefighters and. Again, you know um I think that made a big difference that 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 was my priority, like I said, if we didn't pay a bill you know for for uh, one of the uh, you know vendors, okay, fine, you know we'll just push it off to the next one, but I'll be darn, we're not going to push off a pension payment or a, or a health benefits payment right and I think that hit on the good point that came from understanding what it is to be a fireman. That's awesome,
1: yeah. Um, you want to do that, that question real quick? And that no, one? I think it's okay. He
0: actually said it's fine. He thinks it's fine. And okay. and I paused. And I'll chop I looked it at you and you waved. I cut all those F-bombs that Chewy dropped out. So I can tra- <laughs> oh, my God. That. God.
1: That, that was fantastic. How long was the edit on that? It <coughs> me a little bit. Chewy? Yeah. And
2: you, yeah. Mean you yeah. like Dennis mm-hmm. Yeah. He was our uh, first one.
1: Oh, my God. It was a good time. Yeah.
3: It was
2: uh, fantastic. I, yeah, there's a few stories about him. Let me tell you something. <laughs> when they were had a softball team, and his, his father was on the team, and, and he was young. So uh, he would always be going down to the trash cans at the baseball field, looking in the trash cans, pulling out there, you know, whatever. So his father's on the mound pitching, Big Mike the Sandra, and he turns mm-hmm. around and he goes, Dennis, get out of that trash can. Quit picking trash out of that trash can. He stopped <laughs> the game just to tell him that. <laughs> it's
3: the most Dennis thing I've ever heard.
2: Why? Ch- looking for something. Even as a child. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Believe me when I tell you.
1: Uh, thank you, Mr. Lorenzo, for taking the time out. Sure. Um, we hope to have you on again, and um, you know it was great talking with you. Yeah,
2: it'd be it be my pleasure. I mean, I think this is good uh, that way that the uh, the guys who are new can try to understand, you know, where this fire department came from and where it is now.
1: Great. So, thank you, thank, thank you, you very much. Hey, okay, no problem.
0: You are listening to the report, a Cherry Fire Department podcast. For more information on the podcast and other department initiatives, reach out to the CHFD Training and Safety Division.